Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California. It's the Los Angeles Angels 2, the Cleveland Guardians 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. However, I'm always straight with you morning people, and I did not get to watch any of this game. No, I wasn't I wasn't watching football like everybody else was. No, I was it was Sunday fun day in Cleveland. We were running around. There was a picnic to get to. There was a, a one-year-old's birthday party to get to. A luau theme. A lot of fun. Um, so, no. Baseball was not, unfortunately, a priority I can make on this day. But I watched the highlights. I got caught up. I read some of the story, the game stories. Uh, heard some of the interview clips. I, I think I got a pretty good handle on what went down in this game. Well, good news and bad news. Bad news is that Guardians offense went ice cold once again. Bad news is we lose the series to the Angels. We lose the season series to the Angels. Although, I, I mean, I, for some reason, we're putting a lot of emphasis on season series here. I I don't think it really matters. Um, you just got to win enough to win the division. and We're not winning enough. Uh, the good news is I'm finally going to get a decent night's sleep uh, in the last, you know, weekend basically the last four days and it, it's not going to happen with these san francisco games starting super late so uh there's the good news i'm i'm finally going to get a decent night's sleep uh thanks to these wet this west coast trip um so all right let's get into the storylines of this game let's talk some baseball here should we just start with tanner Bybee in the box should we just should we just get that out of the way um, yes, they do score off him in the first inning, right? Uh, they're able to uh, manufacture a run in the first with the leadoff double. The ground up moves him to third, and then Mustakis flies out. Um, and, you know, it, I thought he got more of it than he did off the bat. He only hit it 98.9, hit it at a 40-degree launch angle, so hit it pretty high. It only carries 333 feet, so zero out of 30 ballparks, that thing would have been out. Later in the game, later in the game, Bo Naylor gets a hold of one that should have been a home run. I mean, he hits his at 99.1. The launch angle is the big difference here. A 40-degree launch angle for Mustakis, a 29-degree launch angle for Bo Naylor, 375 to the wall in left field. It would have been a home run in 22 out of 30 ballparks, but it's just a fly out to the wall here in Anaheim. Uh, I just, aside from... uh, Cole, Cole Calhoun's home run, and I know I'm jumping all around the place here. I just it seemed like the ball wasn't carrying. I don't know for those of you who watched it live, uh, it just seemed like both Mustakis and Bo Naylor uh, put good swings on their balls, and they just didn't carry. Um, so I don't know if it's something to do with the uh, with the weather, with the air out there in uh, Anaheim right now, but it just didn't seem like the ball was carrying until Cole Calhoun absolutely unloaded one 426 feet. So, yeah, that one carried. That one had the distance. Um, But going back to this first inning here. So, the Angels are able to manufacture, right? They get a sack fly. They get a run in. Okay, fine. We respond with a solo home run in the bottom of the second. Unfortunately, Cole Calhoun can't do this when uh, Ramirez is still on base. He gets picked off, caught stealing to end the first inning with Calhoun up to bat. And then he has to hit the solo home run with the bases empty, but at least it ties the game. And then uh, in the uh, third inning, uh, one out single by Kieran Paris. 
Uh, I don't even, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, Kieran or Kyron, um, he gets a one out single, hits it really hard, 107.4 mile per hour exit velocity, and then, and then we get the box. So what it looked like Bybee was doing is as he would come set, he would pump that lead leg one more time. He would kind of rock on that lead leg one more time as he was coming set. So it did look like he was coming set, moving again, and then coming set, which, yes, would be a balk. Once you are set, that's it. You are set. But plenty of pitchers, plenty do things like this to get themselves into a set position. They rock into the set position. They have a little bounce to it to get into that set position. The important part is once he officially comes set, he's set. And, you know, Francona had a great point. Like, this umpire crew has had Tanner Bybee before. He had already thrown pitches. He had already thrown two innings worth of pitches. So why now are they jumping all over him for pumping that front leg as he's coming set? Bybee had no clue what was happening. Like, no clue why they were calling a balk on him. Uh, You know, it's a motion that he's probably repeated, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred thousand times if you count all of minor league experience and then and before that did he I honestly I don't I don't know did Bybee pitch in college I don't know if he was a college or a high school alarm um but yeah he's probably done this thousands of times and um and now someone out of nowhere has a problem with it like wh- what are we doing here yes he pitched at Cal State Fullerton so College experience, high school experience. He's probably done this leg pump thing thousands of times. And for some reason, second base umpire today had a huge problem with it. In this one at-bat, in this one moment with Paris on base. So I, I like I understand as an umpire, if, like if this had been the first inning and this umpire had never seen him pitch before, I understand why, you know, maybe you just get an umpire with a bug up there, you know what, on the day, and he goes on and tells the guy, you can't do that. Uh, okay, uh, you know, still the wrong call, but you understand where the umpire is coming from a little bit there. In this situation, what was wrong with all the other times he did it? So uh, it puts uh, Paris on third base. And then uh, Gritchick is able to just ground one to third. He just kind of chops one to third base. And even uh, charging in, uh, Freeman can't really make a play at home. He just has to go to first and get the out. And uh, they take a 2-1 lead, and it holds up. It, I, it holds up. The Guardians offense do not do their part. So you feel bad for Bybee because he pitched a gem. Pitched an absolute gem. Ace-level stuff right here from Tanner Bybee. Seven innings pitched, two hits, two earned runs, no walks, eight strikeouts, no home runs on 90 pitches. He's hard hit five times. That's it. On 90 pitches, five hard hit balls. So, uh, I mean, after he gives up this single to Paris, he doesn't give up another base runner. Doesn't give up another hit. Does not give up no walks, no hits. After that single from Paris. That's really, really good stuff. Like I said, that's ace level stuff right there. 
So Tanner Bybee is clearly our big positive on the day, right? I mean, eight uh, the eight strikeouts over seven innings, not giving up a hit after the third inning. He really took that anger and that frustration, and he channeled it into his pitching. So what was working for him on the day? Everything. Everything. 37% whiff rate on the day. 19 whiffs on 51 swings. Well, the Anaheim Angels, the LA Angels were being aggressive. There's at least that. And uh, the pitch that got the best swing and miss was the slider. A 57% whiff rate on the slider. Eight whiffs on 14 swings. Add in five whiffs from the four-seam fastball, five whiffs from the changeup, and one from the curve. And he did mix up his off-speed pitches pretty evenly. It was 38 fastballs. You know, his you know started with that, and then 19 sliders, 18 changeups, and 15 curveballs. So really kind of mixed it around. It's a 33% CSW total on the day for Tanner Bybee. Uh, the uh, location of all those swings a miss is fun. Um, going over to the Illustrator here, the uh, swing strikes. It's a a ton of fastballs up at the top of the zone. Uh, nothing below the belt. There's two in the zone. There's one right at the top of the zone to Ohop. And then there's two where he got Mustakis and Eduardo Escobar in the seventh inning to strike out on check swings above the strike zone. So the fact that he had these guys that off balance, that two hitters in a row in the seventh inning uh, go down. Uh, uh, okay, maybe not in a row, but uh, two hitters in that inning go down to check swing high fastballs above the strike zone, above their shoulders, shows you shows you how off balance he had them on the day and how many strikes he was throwing. I mean, a big difference between Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams is Bybee can locate that fastball. He throws it high with purpose, but he also pounds the strike zone a ton with all his pitches. And it makes guys have to respect these pitches. So the uh, he gets uh, the five swing and miss from the uh, from the fastball all up. The changeups are all to the arm side of the plate as you expect. One right down the middle to Eduardo Escobar. Uh, that one's kind of right down the middle, right at the thighs, and then a bunch of sliders down and away to the glove side. Really, some pounding the strike zone. Pounding the bottom edge of the strike zone, pounding the outer edge of the strike zone, and then three off the plate that he makes him chase. And then for fun, just one at the top of the strike zone that Ohop goes up and chases in the first inning. Uh, he was swinging at a lot of stuff up there in that first inning, was Ohop. Uh, both a fastball and a slider he chased up there. So that's where Tanner Bybee was throwing him. He had a plan, he executed that plan, and he was very aggressive. And had good command of that fastball. Had good command of all his pitches. I mean, he was lighting up that lower outside corner with the slider. Just pounding that corner with the slider. Uh, So it's good stuff to see from Tanner Bybee. It is ace-level command, control, and aggressiveness from Tanner Bybee. So, uh, okay, apparently, you know, the I'm glad that the... The bad call from the umpire didn't make him unravel. Instead, it made him nastier. It made him almost a better pitcher. And look, I, I don't believe in the dark side too often, but you can channel some uh, some anger and fuel yourself uh, through a start if you know how to handle it. Uh, 
if you know how to handle it. And clearly, Bobby does here. Yes, I made a Star Wars reference in my baseball podcast. Um, what was going on on the other side of this game? Kenny Rosenberg, I pitched fine. He pitched good. He goes five innings for the Angels, gives up six hits, but only the one on run on the solo home run. One walk and four strikeouts on 86 pitches. He's only hard hit six times. Going to his player breakdown page, once again, the Guardians struggle with a four-seam fastball. And it's not it's a fastball that averaged 90.6. And 17 swings. There's only four whiffs. They fouled off nine, and they only put four in play. They only put four fastballs in play. Bybee's fastball, they put seven in play. The Angels did. Uh, for Once again, Cleveland just can't do anything with fastballs. Uh, it's really frustrating. Really frustrating. Um, so uh, there were so many opportunities for the Guardians to kind of jump on this team. The problem is a lot of those opportunities came with two outs. And, you know, it's hard enough for this team to get a rally going. It's even harder when all those things happen with two outs. Starting in the third inning, two-out single by Jose Ramirez, David Fry would fly out. In the fourth inning, two-out single by Andres Jimenez, Gabriel Arias would strike out. In the fifth inning, a two-out double by Stephen Kwan. They intentionally walk Jose Ramirez. David Fry strikes out. Um, the sixth inning would be the outlier. It would be a single and a walk to start the inning, to lead off the inning, and they, they still can't get anything done. Andres Jimenez lines out. Gabriel Arias grounds into a double play. Look, I, I like I like some of the guys being in this lineup. I don't know about the lineup construction as a whole. I'm, I'm shocked to see David Fry batting third, but I guess I shouldn't be too shocked because... What Francona does right now, if, if you're sitting, whoever's hitting in your position is also getting your spot in the lineup. I don't know why Francona is incapable of reworking his lineup instead of just erasing Naylor's name and putting in David Fry's. I don't know. Back to the seventh inning, back to our pattern. It's a two-out walk to Stephen Kwan would be the lone base runner in that inning. And then in the eighth inning, it's a two-out double by a pinch-hitting Josh Naylor. Uh, so yeah, how many innings in a row did I just call out there where it was a two-out base runner? Every time it was a two-out base runner, and the Guardians just couldn't get a rally going that way. So uh, overall, they go 0 for 6 with runners at scoring position. They leave 8 on base. And on a day when they out-hit the Angels 8-3, to you would think that somebody would come across the score. Somebody would have put back-to-back hits together. They don't do it. They can't do it. Nobody in the lineup today can come up with that big hit. Uh, So, yeah. So, the Guardians offense clearly needs to be fixed. It needs to be addressed this offseason. I think we can all agree on five or six guys that we probably think deserve to be in this lineup next year. Quan, Ramirez, obviously, Naylor. Uh, but there's other guys that are going to be up for debate. I mean, even, I hate to say it, even Andres Jimenez is going to be up to a little debate. Although I think Andres Jimenez could bounce back and have a fantastic season. I know it sucks that he's kind of had this slump season here, but I'm definitely not giving up on Andres Jimenez. Bo Naylor is clearly the catcher of the future. I mean, he is clear, or he could be the catcher of right now. He is clearly the catcher of right now. It is Bo Naylor's, it's Bo Naylor time. Uh, the Naylor brothers 
uh, are, are proving to be quite the the tandem offensively. Um, so I, some of those things are kind of set, but uh, I know we'll continue to talk about the shortstop position, and there will be a battle. There will be a competition for shortstop. Um, a center field is going to continue to be a conversation. Right field is going to continue to be a conversation. Uh, so yeah, so there, there's some things that they need to work out. Uh, DH will continue to be a conversation. There are things they need to work out uh, with this offense because this just isn't. The, I mean, this if this Angels series needed to happen to convince the front office, like okay, we. We're not at the level we need to be. We have to address offense in the offseason. I know they were going to address it anyways. I know it's probably something they're already starting to have conversations about and address. But if this Angel season series helps push them in that direction, then fine. Fine. If we had to lose three out of four to the Angels to get them to go get a big, powerful right fielder, then fine. We did what we had to do. Um, all right. That's kind of all my thoughts with this one. It's not a great baseball game. It wasn't. I'm sorry. Uh, We got some emails here. Jeff uh, with a G. Jeff from Columbus said, Hi, Davey. One run on eight hits, but we lose to the Angels who scored two runs on three hits and two controversial balk calls. This was a tough one. I wouldn't have guessed we would have lost three out of four games in this series, especially with no Otani or Trout in the lineup. Kudos to Tanner Bybee for a great performance. He seemed to get stronger as the game went on. Radio guys, Rosie and Tom Candiotti, said his slider was working well. Not sure what his fastball was sitting. Well, Jeff, I could tell you that his fastball was down slightly from his season average. He averages 95. It was averaging 94.4 today, so down a little bit. But he still maxed out well over 95. He maxed out at 96.8 with that fastball. So... Um, you know, spin was down a little bit as well on a lot of his pitches. So, uh, maybe not as sharp from that standpoint, but still pretty good. Still, still pretty good velocity. No, nothing to be concerned about or anything like that. Um, he said, what's Bybee's chances to win AL rookie of the year in your opinion? Quan came in second last year. No, I was the second or third. I thought Quan came in third. He says, okay, thanks for the podcast. Uh, Jeff in Columbus. So I went and took a look uh, on uh, Baseball Reference and just looked at the WAR numbers. It's so hard to compare the position players with the um, with the pitchers. Like, how am I supposed to take Gunnar Henderson's uh, batting average and OPS and home runs and compare it with Tanner Bybee's innings pitched and strikeouts and wins and ERA? Like, it's 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 not it's definitely not apples to apples. So. Uh, war does give us some kind of comparison between the two. And Bybee is the top American League rookie pitcher when it comes to B-War or baseball reference war. Uh, Bybee is at 3.0. Uh, Senga from the New York Mets is the top rookie pitcher overall at 3.9 war, although their numbers are very similar. They both have 10 wins. The, uh, their ERAs are a hundred two one hundredths of a decimal away from each other. Senga's at 307 ERA. Bybee is better at a 305. Senga has had three more starts than Bybee, so some of these numbers will be skewed a little bit. He's pitched 20 more innings. He's got way more strikeouts, and I think that's kind of what pushes him up here a little bit. He's got 181 strikeouts, while Bybee only has 129. So uh, their whips, again, uh, 
two one-thousandths of a decimal away from each other. Senga is slightly better at a 1.232, whereas Bybee's at a 1.234. So very close there, but it's a 3.0 war for Bybee. Now, if you look at the hitters, uh, Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson are running away with this thing. Corbin Carroll has a 6.4 war, which is adjusted by uh, position. Uh, they do, it's ward divided by position. So they do do some kind of adjustment for position. Uh, and Gunnar Henderson is at a 6.1 war, and they are outpacing the field. Next is Matt McLean from Cincinnati at 3.6. So, I mean, these guys are running away with it, and I think they're going to run away with Rookie of the Year, respectively. Um, I, Gunnar Henderson, he, he, I mean, he's, his OPS is 808. He's only hitting 255, but he's got 28 home runs, 32 doubles. So a couple more home runs. He's looking at a 30-30 season there. Um, 92 RBIs and 96 runs scored, so he could be looking at 100 seasons there if he keeps going the way he's going. He does strike out a ton, 171 strikeouts, but, uh, I mean, a, a really great hitter, uh, a really great hitter. So I, I think the other thing that's helping Gunnar Henderson is that he's playing for a winning team. He's playing for a playoff team. And Bybee's not. And so maybe Bybee would be getting a little more national attention if people were starting to talk about what this rotation would look like uh, in a playoff scenario. But since that's not really coming up in conversation, I don't think Bybee's going to come up a lot in conversation. He'll probably be top three. He'll probably be top three. The next closest hitter uh, in the American League would be Anthony Volpe from the Yankees at 3.2 war. Um, and Yenar Diaz in Houston at 2.7. So they'll all be in the conversation there. Uh, Nolan Jones, by the way, is kind of high on this list. He's also at 2.7 war. So he might get some a uh, couple of lower ballot votes um, for MVP. I, I think we could have used this production this year. Uh, he's hitting he's hitting 272. He's got an 837 OPS. He had to still strikes out a ton. Nolan Jones does, but he's got 17 home runs, 24 doubles, 61 RBIs. I I think we probably would have taken that over what we're currently getting from right field. Uh, so I my, I might be one. It could be it could be the uh, the Colorado effect. Let's let's not discount that. Right? We don't know what that would have played like playing his whole season in Cleveland, but. Uh, just pointing out that Nolan Jones is pretty high on this list of AL of of Major League Baseball rookie hitters. So no, I don't think unfortunately Tanner Bybee is going to win it this year. But I think he'll pro- he could be in the top three. He definitely could be in the top three, um, and that and that alone would be an honor. I think uh, to be considered one of those one of the best rookies. Uh, everything I looked at a lot of the the betting sites because. The betting sites can be quite insightful. And as far as odds go, he's he they give him the third best odds at AL Rookie of the Year. So uh it's something. It, it's something, right? It's better than nothing. Uh I'm trying to think. Let me show you the other names. FanDuel, for example, has uh Gunnar Henderson at a minus eight hundred betting odds. Tristan Cassis from the uh, Boston Red Sox at a plus one thousand. Tanner Bybee at a plus 1900 and uh Yoshida from the Red Sox as well at uh plus 2700. Um so yeah and then it just keeps going up exponentially higher from there. So 
Gunnar Henderson, the money is on Gunnar Henderson right now uh, to win this thing. Uh, and then, like I said, Bybee comes in third. So would still be respectful, I think, for him. Uh, Marlon also emailed in. Of course he did. He said, this loss is a perfect microcosm of the 2023 Guardians season. Excellent pitching and an anemic offense. The Guardians out hit the Angels 8-3 but lost. Such is life for this team. The lack of timely hits and power once again haunts the team. You'd have to think eight hits should be able to produce three or four runs. It was nice to see Calhoun hit well. Perhaps the day off did him some good. It was also nice to see Tito finally pinch hit straw in the ninth inning. It's too bad it took him the 144th game of the season to figure that out. Yeah, Calhoun, we didn't talk about his home run. He had two hits on the day. He was two for four, uh, but his home run was really the only impact on the game. It was just a nice inside breaking ball that Calhoun got and hit out. Um, Let me see if I can go to the actual matchup here, and we could break down the actual matchup. But uh, Rosenberg uh, basically just came in. Oh, it was a long at bat. It was a seven-pitch at bat. It wasn't a breaking ball. It was a changeup. I'm sorry. Uh, Hung him a changeup here on the seventh pitch of the at bat. Uh, After starting him 3-0 and missing with three straight fastballs, he comes back and battles in the zone. Calhoun fouls off a couple of fastballs. And then, uh, yeah, I just left him a hanging changeup inside, kind of middle of the plate at the belt, and he turns on it at 102.6 and hits it 426 feet. So, yes, it's nice to see Calhoun. We've talked about how much Calhoun has struggled in maybe the last two weeks. And uh, it's nice to see him put another one out here uh, for his for- against his former team. All right. Uh, he says, I would like to perhaps, uh, Marlon's got jokes. He said, I would like per- perhaps for the first time in this podcast history to nominate an umpire as MVP for the day. Second base um Pat Hoberg deserves consideration for MVP for the day. He ultimately drove home the game-winning run for the Angels by calling consecutive balks on Bybee, and this proved costly. As the commentators pointed out, Bybee has pitched the same way all season and hasn't been called for a balk. So, Marlon having a little fun with it. He said, I forgot to add that Bybee absolutely dominated and deserves a much better fate. A game like this shows how useless wins and losses are to pitchers. There's no reason why Bybee shouldn't have earned a win today. Or why he had to earn the loss, right, uh, when pitching that well. So it takes his record of 10-4 and four on the season. Uh, so thank you, Marlon. Uh, thank you for reminding me about MVP on the day. It clearly goes to Tanner Bybee, right? He was giving us everything he had. Uh, he, what's interesting here, uh, I like the quote he had, um, about the work he put in and at the end of Mandy Bell's article on the game story here. Um, he was talking about how, uh, you know, he didn't go as deep as he wanted against the twins. Uh, and he was talking about the work I put in. I think this whole last week, I was really trying to figure out how to stay in more control the entire way. Try to stay inside my body, not going too quick down the mound, stuff like that, Bobby said. I think it's indicative through through the no walks. I think I was definitely better in control of myself and kind of stayed in control the entire time. So that shows you a little bit about what he works on. Like they, they actually put in work in between these starts. You don't hear about it very often and you don't hear about it in detail. 
So a little bit of interesting detail there, right? Obviously working on the command, and it sounded like he was working on his landing um, a little bit. Coming down on the mound, it sounds like he was working on his landing uh, to try to improve on those walks and try to go deeper into the game, right? Those walks, not only do they uh, hurt having base runners on base, but they add up that pitch count real fast. So you can see on a day when he has no walks, he's able to go seven innings on 90 pitches. If this had been a game where we actually were in a playoff race, I think you could have even seen him push it even further and, uh, you know, go eight innings and see maybe go over 100 pitches. But obviously, we're kind of out of the playoff race here, so there's no reason to push his arm that hard. But uh, definitely does a much better job of staying in command and uh, and getting it done. So for that, Tanner Bybee's taking home MVP on the day. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Look, I I know it's hard to be a baseball fan here at the end of baseball season with football season starting. And look, I'm someone who celebrates the entire uh, plethora of Cleveland sports. You've heard me talk about my Cavs fandom. My football fandom has waned a little bit, but I will always keep an eye on the Browns and see what they're doing. I, I grew up on Browns football. I grew up on Buckeyes football. I ain't going to be able to quit it that easy. But uh, I'm still locked in on a baseball game. I got to be honest with you, if the Browns and the Guardians were playing at the same time, well, you know me. I'd find a way to have both on the screen at the same time. One on the TV, one on the phone. We make it work, right? Uh, but I'm, I'm not turning off these Guardians games. I am with you to the end, uh, morning people. And those of you who are sticking it out to the end of the season, you, you're the diehard morning people, and I appreciate you. So... Uh, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final, it's the Angels 2, the Guardians 1. Disappointing, disappointing, but we move on. We go to face San Francisco, and we just keep looking for those positives as the season winds down. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts, and we'll discuss it on the show. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. 